0: live. We welcome all of you that are here and those of you that are uh, joining us today and we will uh, get into the book of Exodus and let's pray and we'll get started. Lord we thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and mercy. Thank you for your long-suffering, your kindness, your gentleness. Thank you for your word and we thank you for all you do in our lives. We thank you for your sacrifice Jesus. We ask you to be with us during this moment, let us grow and learn of you in jesus name amen <clears throat> verse eighteen of chapter twenty two says "You shall not permit a sorceress to live. It'd be somebody who's a soothsayer or um, a fortune teller, somebody who's involved in witchcraft uh we have, uh, you know, we have a city here in America that's noted for that. It's it's widespread. I heard about a church just recently that uses tarot cards and stuff. Um, they call themselves Christian. Um, they talk about spirits in the plural form. That's dangerous stuff. But New Orleans is a big witchcraft city. Uh, we make light of that in our country and uh, Mardi Gras, is probably world known, I'm sure, but uh, <clears throat> Christians don't have any business being down there in Mardi Gras. Uh, the Lord directly gave you a word to go down there and do something, but it's just debauchery. We were able to help a stranger today, and he was pretty broken up over it, and uh, strangers. You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If you afflict them in any way and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. My wrath will become hot. I will kill you with a sword. Your wives shall be widows, your children fatherless. If you lend money to any of my people who are poor among you, you shall not be like a money lender to him. You shall not charge him interest if you ever take your neighbor's garment. As a pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. <laughs> for uh, that is the only covering his garment for skin. He uh, What will he sleep in? And it will be that he cries to me, I will hear, for I am gracious. You shall not revile God, curse the ruler of your people. You shall not delay to offer the first of your ripe produce and your juices. Bring God the tithe. You can't steal from God. First fruits. The firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. Likewise you shall do with your oxen and your sheep. It shall be with its mother seven days. On the eighth day you shall give it to me. Uh, and you shall be holy men to me. You shall not eat meat torn by beast in the field. You shall throw it to the dogs. So there weren't to be scavengers. <laughs> uh, what do they call that in Kentucky? Roadkill. You're not allowed to eat roadkill. <laughs> Uh, so, this is practical information that we all should live by. Thank, thankfully, the penalty is not the same under the new covenant. Uh, but these are still ways that we should practice and teach. You know, if you uh, look at what God's asking Him to do, and He's going to continue to talk, you give us several things, you know, we shouldn't be sacrificing. Uh, We shouldn't have anything to do with witchcraft. I think the New Testament says we shouldn't even look into it. We shouldn't even be curious about it. Don't even touch it. We shouldn't have dealings with witchcraft, sorcery, whatsoever. So the New Testament continues to bear that out. The New Testament also says we shouldn't eat the blood, right? Things strangled. So some of this carried over in the New Testament, even though the penalty is not... Immediate death, like some of these call for here, but uh, somebody who lies with an animal—that's stuff that goes on in the world today. It's insane. That's insanity. That's demonic. Child trafficking is demonic. And you probably won't want to hear this, but it's—it's it's, this is true. Uh, They've been saying child trafficking is going to overtake the drug trafficking, and some say it already has, and here's why. This will make you sick, but we need to know it. They said because you can sell a child four or five times a day. The same child. And that's why I was telling you last night, those women in Syria were asking American military to kill them, because they said they're, they were coming and getting their little boys and little girls every day and raping them all day and then bringing them back. So they can sell these children multiple times in one day. And, so, and then it's a resource. You know, you sell a bag of cocaine, it's gone, right? You have to get another bag of cocaine. But you can sell a child today, several times, tomorrow, or teenager, whatever. It ought to make us all throw up. That's and I, the world, the world, and most of the church. I'm gonna say most. What what level of income he has? You shall not show partiality in any of this. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall surely bring it back to him again. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying under the burden, and you should refrain from helping it, you shall surely help him with it. In other words. Treat somebody good, even if they don't treat you good. The Bible says we're supposed to pray for those who use us. Pray for those who mistreat us. Love our enemies, Jesus said. He said when you have a big get-together, don't invite the people that can pay you back. Invite the people that can't. He says don't refrain from helping him, right? The Bible's talking about that when we love our enemies, we heap hot coals on them, right? And so that's not a bad thing. That was a good thing. It was helping them stay warm. We kind of mistranslate that over time. But uh, So we want to show them kindness. We reap what we sow. The Bible says if they send a harsh word, send a soft answer. If they send a curse, you send a blessing. You shall not pervert the judgment of your poor in his dispute. Keep yourself far from the false matter. Do not kill the innocent and righteous. Nobody's more innocent and righteous than these children. If they happen to make it out of the womb, which is a difficult task anywhere, and, and abortion's all over the world, it's not just America. Uh, if if a child does is fortunate enough to make it out of the womb, then this foster care is an epidemic. Especially if you add into the fact of how many grandparents are raising their grandchildren, it's just sad. How much uh, I was reading a, a book by an author who talked about how those first four years, those first formative years, when a child is when a child is given to a home, born in, they're secure. They're supposed to be secure years and. Nurturing years and so many of our children don't get any of that. And it's just sad. It's, does anybody recognize how the enemy is after our offspring? He wants to destroy them. From the womb to child trafficking to drugs, whatever. You know, he's out to destroy our children. You shall not oppress a stranger, for you you had the heart of a stranger, because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Six years you shall sow your land and gather in its produce. <clears throat> but the the best place you can sow anything, money or time, is in the kingdom. Now, I'm not getting ready to take up an offering. That's not why I said that. The best place—that's the biggest return you can get. It's better than a money market or anything, you will never be able to outgive God. Never. It ain't never going to happen. And you're setting up your family to be blessed when you're sowing into God's kingdom. So whether it's helping a stranger, whether it's bringing the first fruits or tithing or whatever you're doing, that's the best return you're going to ever get because those are eternal things. What value would you hang on your son or your granddaughter's salvation? There is no value, is there? And so God's rewards through us, they may not always come monetarily, although he does do that. But the rewards we get from him, peace, salvation, and all the things that we want to see. As I preached about two weeks ago about nothing's more important than eternity, there's not a person listening to me today that, the, the thing you want the most is to be sitting in heaven with your family someday. There's nothing more important than that. So, sowing into the kingdom, you reap what you sow. I, have, uh, I had a situation years ago that I wanted to see rectified. I wanted to see the Lord move and bring salvation there. But I was so far away from that situation, I couldn't interact with it. Other than by a phone call occasionally or whatever. And I felt helpless. I remember being on the creek bank praying about this, and I was walking me and my chow. I had a chow back then, anybody know what a chow you couldn't you couldn 't even see her eyes. she was just black as coal in every way, and uh, she uh, she would go down when I would go to the creek bank and pray, and I was praying, and I was just I, I felt my Lack of ability, you know, I was just saying the Lord, Lord, I can't talk to them, I can't sit down with them, I can't... And the Holy Spirit said to me, you can pray. And I started praying for that situation. And there were other people praying, it was just me, but I heard that. And it wasn't just maybe a week or two, this, I didn't know this at the time, found out later, somebody... 14 hours away where this situation was at was knocking on this person's door inviting them to church they went and got saved just a couple of weeks after that and then the Lord started bringing their whole. so the Lord can do it right what's that worth a little time on the creek bank dropping two mites in the offering plate there's no value to that right you can't put a price tag on that so God is a, in Hebrews 11 and 6, it says, God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And that word rewarder is an accounting term in the Greek. It means payer of wages or giver of wages. Now, it doesn't just mean God gives you money. He does do that uh, when we need it. Uh, but he means he rewards, right? He he, you won't ever outgive God, and so he says: uh, Six years you shall sow your land and gather and produce, but the seventh year you shall let it rest and fallow that the uh, and lie fallow that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the beasts of the field may eat. In like manner you shall do with your vineyard and your olive grove. Six days you shall do your work. On the seventh day you shall rest. And your ox and your donkey may rest. And the son of your female servant and the stranger may be refreshed. Now, that was God's design behind the Sabbath. You remember Jesus, they were fussing at Jesus because they were was it going through the cornfield or whatever. And, and gathering and, and they were throwing, you know, picking at Jesus. He said, you guys got this backwards here. He said, man wasn't made for the Sabbath, Sabbath was made for the man. Now, to be honest with you, that's something I struggle with, (laughs) you know, finding that day where I can just rest. Uh, I'm trying to get better at it uh, in in this, but there's just, uh, it's hard to find that day because most people, in our culture, use Sunday the first day of the week. By the way, Saturday is the Sabbath, if you want to call it that. Um, so most people use Sunday as their Sabbath, but the Sabbath actually starts on Friday evening and runs till Saturday evening. And we kind of we've uh, Gentile. I'm gonna make a new word. We've Gentilized everything. <laughs> Uh, And we took off away from the lunar calendar and moved over to a solar calendar. And that's not how God set all this up. But anyway, we got better ideas than God, right? We think. (laughs) Uh, But finding that time of rest, finding that place. uh, I don't rest on Sunday. (laughs) I work on Sunday. And usually I work about 16 or 17 hours on Sunday. Uh, And so... I try to find a place of rest earlier. But, but the idea behind this is that you and I would cease from our labor. I venture to say, with a rare exception, and I think this would probably be true, um, that Chick-fil-A is probably the most prosperous fast food restaurant in this country. Maybe the world and they don't open on Sunday. They give their employees a time a day of rest. They have biblical principles, you know. He, they they offer marriage counseling to their employees. They do a lot of good stuff for their employees. If you read about that franchise, and of course, he got hammered because he didn't he didn't. Uh, Kathy is that his name or whoever owns that. It, that they asked him his view on marriage. He didn't come out and make a big statement to draw attention to himself. They, somebody asked him, he said he had the biblical view. Well, they tried to destroy him over him having his own position. That's how they are out there, whoever they is. And, of course, they said uh, they were going to boycott Chick-fil-A and it just caused their business to go out the roof. They said they made so much money the next few days they wouldn't even tell how much they made. So that's honoring God. You see, they honor God not just for themselves but for their employees and they're probably, they, any, does anybody ever drive by Chick-fil-A? Hardee's, of course this Hardee's in Junction City is different at breakfast time. They like, they like their breakfast. But if you drive through any city, there'll be two or three in a drive through and Chick-fil-A will have two lines wrapped around the building everywhere you go. And so, and that's more than just chicken because I'm going to tell you, canes has good chicken. Anybody ever eat Canes, I like it. But they don't have the same position as Chick-fil-A with God. So God's honoring them. You you honor God, He'll reward you. And and they don't try to cram it in people's face. They just take their position and stand on it. And that's a good place to be. So you can see how God rewards us as we honor Him. He wants us to have a day of rest. He wants us to Take some time and, and, uh, and uh, uh, cease from our labor is how, how we should do. And uh, that, uh, he says, on the seventh day you shall rest your ox, your donkey, your servants, if you have anybody working for you. And that's kind of the approach chick fil A's taking. A stranger may be refreshed. And all that I have said to you, be circumspect and make no mention of the name of other gods, nor let it be heard from your mouth. So they were forbidden to interact in any way with anything that was not God. Three times you shall keep a feast to me in the year. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. You shall eat unleavened bread seven days as I commanded you the time appointed the month of Abib. For in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty. And the feast of the harvest, the first fruits of your labor which you have sown in the field... The feast of ingathering, the end of your year, you have gathered in the fruit of your labors from the field. Three times in the year, all your meals shall appear before the Lord God. And he talks about, he says, you shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread, nor shall the fat of my sacrifice remain till the morning. The first of the first fruits of your land, you shall bring the house of the Lord, your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's meal. So bringing God... God don't need our money, but God wants our hearts. And so the reason he says to bring him the first fruit to bring him the tie, is so that we are recognizing that everything we have has come from his hand. And this was going on before the law. This was going on with, with Abraham. Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him, obey his voice, do not provoke him. For he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an, adver- adversary, to your adver- ad- ad- an ad- adversary to your adversaries. And that's the kind of relationship God is offering Israel. It's the same thing he offers us in the New Testament. For my angel will go before you and bring you in the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. I will cut them off. So he's going to take them into the land. Now, there's some things going on here I want to show you. He mentions these three feasts, but in the Bible, and I use these in a prophetic sense a lot, but uh, let me do this over. Unleavened and uh, Passover and First Fruits and then Pentecost. Those are what we call the early rain. And then the latter rain is the trumpets, Feast of Trumpets. And then Yom Kippur, or we call the Day of Atonement. And then Feast of Tabernacles. Now I grew up in churches where we'd sing about the early and latter rain, but we didn't really know what we were singing because we had no understanding of our Jewish roots. Because a lot of churches have, as you know, have done away with the Old Testament; they don't even use it anymore. But Paul said everything that was written about Israel's is for our learning, so we should be learning about so we can get God's perspective on things. So this, there's so much we can learn with these festivals. Seven is God's completion; it also means represents His authority. Seven does, and so God loves the number seven. Perfection, completion is probably the better. Understand that we know unleavened bread represents purity we know the Passover lamb uh, the first fruits Pentecost on Pentecost the harvest starts all right and the harvest will run all the way through here that's why on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was given that 3,000 people were born again that day because the harvest kicked off for the church The church came into being, as we call it, the body of Christ. And when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, the harvest began. And 3,000 people, the Bible says, were born again that day. When the law came, 3,000 people died that day. Because the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So these people were under the condemnation of a broken law. You remember Moses broke the Ten Commandments when he was coming off the hill. He saw what was going on. And uh, they were under judgment because they didn't have the strength to keep the law. Now over here, trumpets, of course, represents the rapture of the church. Yom Kippur represents the return of Israel. Them being redeemed in a day. Locked in the And then tabernacle represents the new kingdom. The Lord coming and living among us. And we have a new Jerusalem and all that. But this harvest kicked off here on Pentecost. And as the harvest will continue until this time here. Then there will eventually be a new heaven and a new earth. And sin will be no more. Jesus will be crowned uh, when the harvest is over. The focus of the harvest has been on us Gentiles. Right? That's been the focus since A.D. 70. Because what happened in A.D. 70 is Israel was ransacked. The temple was destroyed as Rome came in and destroyed it. And Israel was scattered all over the earth, which... Jesus talked about in Luke 21 and Daniel gives us an idea of that with the 70 weeks where there's that gap between the 69th and the 70th week when Israel scattered they no longer are a nation well they went home in 1967 that's partially why we have this hourglass here to remind people that we're in the last days the hourglass really didn't tip over, I don't think, excuse me, in 1948, that's when they became a nation. 1967's when they recaptured Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem had been trodden by the Gentiles, and Jesus makes mention of that, right? In Luke 21, he says, when the time of the Gentiles is over, and the Jerusalem is no longer trodden or controlled by the Gentiles, then he gives us some more signs, and at the end of that discourse there, he says, know that this generation will not pass till everything's finished. What generation? The generation that saw Jerusalem go back under the control of Israel and started seeing these additional signs. That's us. Now I knew this before I ever went into ministry and my mother I think knew it for some prophetic things that I've always known that I was an end time preacher. I don't just preach end time things but I knew And I've spent a lot of time learning things about the end time because I know that's the season. I am that generation. I was born in 1966. I am this generation that come to life when Jerusalem went back to Israel. We're that terminal generation. We don't know the day nor the hour, but we know the season. And we have the signs. All the signs are here. For the church to be gathered and taken out, the dead in Christ will rise first. Right? The Old Testament saints have already been resurrected. Remember, they got resurrected at when Jesus come out of the ground. According to Matthew, it said the graves of the saints opened up and they walked around town too. Wouldn't that have been a nice day to be around? But the dead in Christ will rise first. Then those of us who are alive and remain will be called up together, them. And we're going to join those who've died before us. We're going to join all the Old Testament saints who put their faith in God and was looking for the Messiah, though they didn't see him in the natural. We're kind of in the same boat. We've not seen Jesus in the natural either, yet we believe, right? There's just a span of 33 years there where people actually saw Jesus in the flesh those before and those after, like us, we've, we are exercising our faith because we know God is true, His Word is true. So we're, we're living in the last days. We're, we're here. So how do, we, how do we live? How do we live knowing that we are that terminal generation? I believe, everybody says, what the preacher believes. <laughs> I believe that there's a good chance if we live normal lives, we could all be alive when the Lord comes back. That's how close I believe we are. We're that close. Uh, I said some stuff in a small group yesterday that I'm probably not going to say here because it goes around the, around the world. I don't want people to just take but there are some things I've studied and seen that I believe we're really close. So I tell people all the time if, now there's a possibility that we will already be gone because Israel has so much zeal and money to build their new temple. They could build that thing probably in a couple of years with all the technology we have today and supernatural help. God's on will be on their side, of course. So they could have that, tri- that temple up and running. by. It just has to be running by the middle of the tribulation when the Antichrist goes in. So there's a possibility you and I could be leaving here, raptured, before that even starts, right? Because they could get it built and have it up and running when it needs to be running. But there's also a possibility that we could see the beginnings of that, you know, and then the Lord take us on out. We could see the preparation and maybe the temple being built or, or built. But what I tell people, if you see that temple going up, you better get your bags packed, because <laughs> we're not long for this place. And we're not long for this place anyway, but that is something that would really put the, put the move on us. And, and it is so wicked. We we don't know the half. We hear bits and pieces. You may watch a, read an article, read a report about child trafficking, and I, I don't even like to read that stuff anymore. It's just, but we just know a drop in the bucket of what God sees, and I just, whew, how much longer He's going to put this off? I don't. I can't see it much longer. There's so much evil and wickedness in this world, uh, so we need to be we need to be ready. So these festivals show us pictures of Jesus. He is unleavened bread, he is the Passover, He is the first fruits of the of the resurrection to eternal life. People were raised from the dead before and after him, but he was the first one raised to eternity. And then the Bible's clear to say that the saints came out of the grave after he came out, right? Oh, then on Pentecost <clears throat> Jesus Gave us the, uh, we were adopted by him to the Holy Spirit, a feast of trumpets. Jesus is going to fulfill. He's going to bring a bride to his side, Yom Kippur. They're going to redeem Israel. They're going to bring them back. And then finally, he's going to, we're going to live and rule and reign with him in Tabernacle. So Jesus has fulfilled these first four feasts with his life. He's going to fulfill the next three. He's already fulfilled the early reign. Now he's going to fulfill the latter reign. So just a lot in here. And he talks about this angel that's going before him. And he says, I'm going to uh, bring you uh, into the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and the Patheticites. And I threw that one in there. I will cut them off. You shall not bow to their gods nor serve them, do according to their works, but you shall utterly overthrow them, completely break down their sacred pillars. So what's God saying to us? I didn't bring it out with me, but all of those names mean something to us. They mean self-seeking, uh, just Different these, these tribal names have, uh, have something there. And I do a whole preaching and teaching on that about how God... But that, what that represents, these, these things need to be overthrown in our own life. You need to turn your back on something or cut something off from your life so that you can't have that going on in your life. So it won't be a snare to you. He says, I will cut them off. You shall not bow to their gods nor serve them do according to their works. You early overthrow them. Completely break down their sacred pillars. So you shall serve the Lord God. He will bless your bread, your water. And I will take sickness away from the midst of you. And no one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land. I will fill the number of your days. What, what offering God offers them here? He, he, he offers them great reward by doing it things his way. And if you go back to the Old Testament, you're going to find a lot of kings. Israel was pretty uh, bad about doing what people do today. They were pretty bad about going back into where they came from, slipping back to the same old things they did, whether it was immorality or discouragement, defeat, whatever. And so God would raise up a judge or a king who would have a heart after God, And he would clean stuff up and try to move Israel forward. And then they would go for a few years and then revert back and start doing things against God again. Uh, That's human nature to some degree. But when he raised up Josiah, what Josiah did was different than what all the other kings had done. Josiah, the Bible says, he didn't just clean up what he could see. A lot of kings would just clean up Jerusalem and what they could see. But the Bible says, Josiah went to the throne and was eight years old. And then at 18, he had the word of God brought to him. He heard the word of God and he responded to it. And he cleaned up Jerusalem. He cleaned and he went out on all the high places. When you read the word high places in the Old Testament, he's referring to usually to where they worshipped false gods. And they would set up these idols and they would offer sacrifices. So Josiah went out on the mountainsides and tore down all the idols, killed all those priests. The Bible says he pulverized their bones. He destroyed them, burned them, pulverized them. He cleaned up everything. That's why the Bible says there was not a king like him before him or after him. Now, why God sent him to the throne at eight years old, I believe he sent him there to preserve him so he wouldn't get corrupt. He got a hold of him early, trained him, and by the time he was 18... He was ready to be all in for God. Sold out. Just like Daniel was. He was a teenager. Joseph was a teenager. We don't... Our teenagers don't have to be goofy. They can serve God. What Paul told Timothy, don't let anybody despise your youth. In other words, don't think it's useless to serve God when you're young. And so we have some fine, outstanding... Mary is another one. She was... Most likely a teenager when the Lord came to her and said, you're going to be the one that carries my son. I mean, it's amazing that I think the American culture needs to be a little more like the Jewish culture. We let our children goof off too long. When they have these bar mitzvahs, they call their sons and their daughters, with their, they call them into being a little more of an adult when they're thirteen. You've you got to participate more in the community. You've got to step it up here. You don't get to just goof off. <laughs> and so we can see God's hand in a guy like Josiah because he got him early, preserved him, started training him, and then by the time he was 18, God was using him to, do, to clean up the whole country. You would have thought it would have been somebody who was 48, right? 58, 68, 78. Teenager. Because he let God have his heart. God can work through a donkey, right? God can work through a big fish. He can work through an 18-year-old. It's rare, but he can do it if they'll give their heart to him. And he says, I will send my fear before you. He said, I'll fulfill the number of your days. In other words, you'll live out your life. He said, I will send my fear before you. I will cause confusion among uh, the people to whom you come, I will make your enemies turn their backs to you. I will send horns before you. He shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, the Hittite from before you. God, you know, God controls nature. He he can, now, <clears throat> God gives leeway, obviously, but nothing's outside of God's jurisdiction. So, uh, I don't know how much leeway the devil has. Obviously, we're studying the book of Job on Wednesday, so when he went after Job, he had to get, the okay from God, he had to get permission. Uh, And God set boundaries up, said, you can't go any further than this, you can't take his life. So he went at him one time, and he come back, and the the devil came back and said, ah, skin for skin. He said, let me at him personally. And the Lord said, okay, I'll let you go after his life, but you can't kill him. So God just kept setting. So that's comforting to me, to know that God... Nothing's out of his jurisdiction. So the devil has to get permission to do certain things. I don't know how much leeway he has. And I don't know how much leeway uh, nature has uh, in God. But it's still all under God's jurisdiction. He he has it all captured. So if God says, You hornets, drive these people out. You think about it. What if God said... I want to clear out Danville with hornets. We couldn't do nothing about it. Do you realize if God said, I want to clean out Danville, and I'm going to send hornets, you couldn't shoot them. You wouldn't have enough spray. You'd have to run. God could drive out the whole city with just hornets. He wouldn't need a bullet. He wouldn't need anything. He could just send hornets to one city and, and wipe it out. You think about it. Think about swarms of hornets. What could you do? You couldn't go over here in this pond and stay under forever. You'd have to come up for air sooner or later. You'd have to keep moving. If you had hornets after you, you'd have to keep moving. I don't care how many guns you got in your house. You couldn't get enough shots off. Has anybody ever been attacked by hornets or yellow jackets? I have too. They're everywhere. I mean, I got attacked by yellow jackets one day. I had to, I was on the run and my shirt, I had to pull my shirt off and just throw it and keep moving because my shirt was consumed with the yellow jackets. I was not being very wise. I was way out in the mountains one day. With another friend, we were, was hiking way deep in the woods and we were had went down the valley up on another side and we found us a hornet's nest. And we thought we was going to have fun. They had all the fun. We threw rocks at that hornet's nest and here they come. We took off and we got stung a few times and was going up the hill. Uh, I'm not a hill, a mountain. We were running up the mountain, right? Whatever... You call a mountain around here, add about four times to it. That's what I'm talking about. A mount. We went up the mountain, down the next bridge, up again. They were still following us. Just one nest. So if God said, hey, call all the hornets in Kentucky and send them to Junction City, Junction City will be emptied out. Danville would be emptied. out. You understand that? We we get so impressed with all the technology we come up with, guns, phones, whatever. And God could send His hornets in here today, and none of us would be left. I like a God like that. <laughs> yeah, he might maybe maybe he should. We're, but they might come here then. We don't. <laughs> so he he says they're gonna he's gonna drive them out. I will. Not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. I want you to hear this. I'm going to close here, but I'm going to give you some instruction here. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you, and you uh, until you've increased and you inherit the land. And I will set your bounds from the Red Sea to the sea. Now, if you want to know, Israel don't have all the land God originally gave them. I mean, they, they're squeezed. Where Israel's at not much bigger than Maryland. But God gave them a vast land. He said, I'm going to give you, set your bounds from the Red Sea to the sea, Philistia, from the desert to the river, for I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest you make you you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Now think about your own life for a minute. God said, I'm not going to drive these guys out all at once, little by little. That's how God works in our life. You're, you're on a journey. I wish somebody had told me this 30 years ago. I grew up in circles where, where you thought you get saved today and you're perfect tomorrow. That ain't how this works. And if you think you're perfect, you're already deceived. <laughs> uh, down at the well, there's a lawyer there in town. We're trying to get to come to church. And he come by to see what he was doing. And... Uh, he knows about the Lord and stuff. He's just not been walked. And I said, I was just playing with him. I said, is this wrong with you? And he said, no. I said, "Was this wrong with you? And he said, no, I'm good. He said, I, I said, well, if there ain't nothing wrong with you, we don't want you in this church. Something needs to be wrong with you for you to come in here. <laughs> is there something wrong with all of us? Uh, and he giggled. He said, oh, trust me, I got some stuff wrong. He said, it just wasn't stuff you mentioned. <laughs> So, little by little, God takes us. Discipleship is not a destination, it's a journey. And I wish somebody told me that 30 years ago. I learned that probably 20 years ago, 15, to the extent that I see it now. God's taking you on a journey. He's sanctifying you. There are also people who taught that you get saved today, you get sanctified tomorrow. And so when they got somebody saved, they tried to make them as mature as somebody had been walking for 30 years, and that's just not how this works. You go to the nursery first, then you go to primary school, and you go to middle school, and you go to high school, and what? And so God's maturing us. He's transforming us, conforming us to the image of His Son. That takes time. You know why? Because we fight against it. We're self-willed. We live in the flesh, right? And sometimes we want our way, and sometimes we resist God. And God has to work. And this is the biggest problem, as I was saying last night. We don't see what God sees. And so he allows us to go through situations that we can see what he sees because we don't cooperate until we see what he sees. Just like you trying to work with somebody, your child, or whoever. Unless they can see what you see, it's hard to instruct them. So God takes us on a journey. So sanctification, as I've learned over the years, is a process. Paul said you're sanctified by the washing of the water of the word. So the more you cleanse yourself with God's Word, the more sanctified we become. That's why that labor is there on that prayer journey, right? You come in the washing of the water of the Word. So that's the first thing I want you to know, that don't get discouraged, don't get beat up. If you see something in yourself you don't like, God turns the light up a little more all the time so that we get exposed and we can see what He sees, because when we see that, then we can cooperate. And say, yeah, Lord, I need to lay that aside or I need to embrace that and bring that into my life. And God takes you on a journey. It's just like raising a child. We're children. I did not hand my sons a shotgun when they were two years old. I waited till they were three and a half. No, I didn't, I didn't give them a shotgun at two years old, right? You don't do that, right? You don't hand them the keys to the lawnmower when they're four, right? You train them. They mature, they get more capable. Same thing with our daughter. I don't know if I've ever give her the keys to the lot more, but <laughs> but uh, still might not give her the you keys. Know, so that's the process you're on, right? But the second thing he says here, don't make a covenant with them nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in your land lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Jonathan Collins wrote a book, a recent book about the Gods. What did you call it? Return, Return of the Gods. And he's good about identifying these spiritual forces that work behind stuff like sexual immorality and things like that. Uh, addictions or whatever. A man trying to be a woman or vice versa. He, he identifies all that with that book. And there are spirits behind it. So God wants us to be sensitive to that. Now, I, I would say America should not be in league with any other nation that worships false gods. We should not. We should not have a military covenant with them. We shouldn't, do, we shouldn't trade with them. I know the cat's out of the bag, but we've hurt ourselves with that. We've allowed every kind of foreign god in the name of liberty to come into this country. If you and I went to Saudi Arabia and tried to build a Christian church, we'd wind up in prison, at least wind up in prison. They don't allow it. But yet we've, in this country, allowed every foreign and false god into our land, we've made leagues with them, and that's hurt our nation. So I want you to bring that down to you personally. Do you have situations or relationships or certain things that pull you away from God? And that's what he's talking about here. He said, I don't want things in your life, in your parameters, that have the ability to pull you away. Now, I preached Tuesday night to the teenagers. And what I said to them was, Samson was going blind before he ever had his eyes, eyes gouged out. Because he was, had the vow of a Nazarite. And he, once he killed that lion... He should have never got back and fo- fooled with that dead carcass, right? He got upset. He wanted the wrong lady. He had the lady was taken from him. None of the women he was with, they were all traitors to him. Because he was being driven by the flesh, he tried to mix the Holy Spirit with the flesh. Churches do that. People do that. They try to mix the Holy Spirit with the flesh. And so that's what Samson represented. And and he was going blind by getting that honey out of that lion, by uh, laying on Delilah's lap. And, And what the devil was after, he wasn't after his eyes. It says this three times in Judges 16. It said he told her his heart. It said she knew he told her his heart. And she told the enemy that he'd told her his heart. The devil was after his heart. And Samson fooled around long enough with the flesh doing things that he wasn't supposed to do as a Nazarite and wound up giving his heart away. He was going blind before they ever gouged his eyes out. In Judges, in the Hebrew, it means they bored his eyes out. They didn't just pluck them out. They bored them out. They treated him a like horrible, made sport out of him. But he was going blind because he was trying to mix the flesh with the spirit. And God used him mightily. I mean, he tied 300 foxes' tails together and set them on fire. He, 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 he killed a thousand men with the jawbone of an ass. Hey, get in a ring with him, see how it turned out. He killed a lion, the Bible says, with his bare hands Like somebody would do a little baby goat. He just ripped it in two. And then there was guys waiting on him. They was going to whip him. And he got upset about something. And come out and took the city gates off. And took them up the mountain. They went home. They didn't want nothing to do with him. But then he started leaning on the flesh a little bit more. A little bit more. He started going blind. And he was going blind before he ever got his eyes gouged out. Now, the redemption is there, right? And the last there, he gets over and he cries out to God. It wasn't his hair. He knew, good kudos to him. He knew his help was coming from God, right? He shouldn't have had his hair cut, but he knew his help was coming from God, so he cried out to God to strengthen him. And the Bible says he destroyed more enemies in his death than he had his whole life. God heard his cry, and and Samson will be in heaven because he's in Hebrews chapter 11. That's the mercy of God, just like the thief on the cross, right? But Samson didn't have to have that kind of life if he had just followed the Lord. Solomon said, I looked by a man's vineyard and it was all grown over and I learned from what I saw. Wouldn't that be good if most of us could do that? If our children and grandchildren could just learn from what they see, they don't have to touch it and feel it and get involved with it. I want you to think about this contrast as I close today. Samson had the Spirit of the Lord and the the most frightening verse in the Bible is found in Judges 16. I think there's no more, nothing in Revelation, nothing in the prophets, nothing about the end of time. That verse in Judges 16 says, the Spirit of the Lord left him and he knew it not. And there he is. going to have his eyes gouged out? He had all the presence of God working in his life And he went blind. And over in the New Testament, there's a guy on the side of the road who is blind. And he's the only one that can really see. Everybody else was saying, oh, he's a good teacher, he's a rabbi. And Bartimaeus stood up and said, he's the son of David. And when he used that title, he was saying, that's the Messiah. Threw his cloak off. Because they wore cloaks as to let everybody know they were blind, right? blind man can't see you. So when you're coming in town with your horse and buggy or whatever, you need to watch out for him. So they wore certain cloaks to let you know they were blind. And here he goes. He throws off his cloak because he was seeing before he ever saw. Just like Moses. The Bible says Moses endured because he could see him who was invisible. You live by faith. Don't you ever forget it. You don't live by sight. You don't live by how good you feel today or how bad you feel today. You live by faith in Jesus Christ. That's how we live. It is impossible to please God Any other way. I don't care how spiritual you think you are or how many people you fed in the soup line. That does not please God. What pleases God, and those things we should do, what pleases God is people who believe in Him and trust Him and hang their life on everything He says. And that's who I want to be. And that's who Moses became. And that's what Samson lost and got at the very end of his life. Thank God for mercy and long-suffering. Amen. I, I look forward to talking to Samson someday. But he, aren't you glad God gives us all these examples? Because somewhere along the way, you're going to find yourself in one of these situations. Like Job. Like Samson. Like Moses. Like the Israelites. That's why the Old Testament is so important that's why I've been on a crusade for 35 years to return the Old Testament back to the New Testament church and say, quit leaving it out of your study. Understand that when Jesus talked about it's low, it's written in me, the volume of the book, he's talking about the Old Testament. Everything's about Jesus. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your love and mercy. We thank you for your grace. Thank you for all you do in our lives. Forgive us, Lord, where we do our own thing and don't follow you. Wherever that's at, even if it's when we're alone or when it's with other people. Help us to be people of faith. The world don't need to see a superstar. They've already seen that in you, Lord. They just need to see common men and women being faithful and walking out their Christian faith. We thank you, Lord, for your word. May it instruct us, may it challenge us, may it correct us, and may it encourage us in Jesus' name.